Hello, and welcome back to App Philosophy Weekly, where we unwrap the tech of today. And we have some very special guests joining us. We have George. He's a creative pro and our guest of the day, Joshua. He's a developer behind the app Pager, which I personally love. We're going to talk a lot about it. Joshua, how are you doing today? Pretty good so far. Good start to the day. I'm on the West Coast, so a little bit earlier for me than you guys, but excited to be on. Is it as hot in the West Coast or in the East Coast as it is on the West Coast? Everywhere except San Francisco. So I moved here from Nashville and I didn't have a lot of experience on the West Coast. The rest of the West Coast is on fire, but San Francisco is like 67 degrees. It's perfect. And it never really broke 75 here throughout the entire heat wave. Nice. But everywhere else was just on fire. It's a really special area. I'm jealous, honestly, because that is my hometown. I grew up in Palo Alto, California. If you're an Apple fan, you know what that means. So I'm just beyond jealous of you right now, Josh. But I'm doing all right, just surviving the SoCal heat. In summer in California, we can't breathe the air and we can't go outside. So the only thing we can do is complain about the limitations of computers. (laughs) Thermal throttling is even more of a concern when it's 102 degrees out. And you're not on Apple Silicon yet. Yeah, no, it's a thing. And especially if you have to use more than 16 gigs of RAM, you don't have the privilege of being on Apple Silicon. (laughs) And we're going to get right into that. For creatives, it's, I'm finding out it's very stressful. The lack of RAM. A two minute project, George, you said you, you were getting the message on the screen in Final Cut Pro saying insufficient memory. I've said this to Brom. I, I think there's an audio recording of me somewhere saying this. If you're a photographer, M1 Silicon is perfect. If you're a graphic designer, M1 Silicon is perfect. I've done, if this was a video podcast, I'd show you one of my pictures. It's 600 and something megapixels. I did that on M1. It's ridiculously powerful for that. However, for video, there physically isn't enough RAM to take advantage of how powerful the Silicon is. It's like you're only taking a a Bugatti and only making it run a hundred feet as opposed to letting it actually stretch its legs over a mile and a half to actually get up to that top speed. So that's my biggest issue. But hopefully M2, M1X, whenever it's called, uh, 120 gigs of RAM. Joshua, on the topic of Apple Silicon, have you made the transition? If so, how is it as a developer? I was given the option in March of this year to either stick with Intel x86 or jump over to M1. I stuck with x86 primarily because Docker support wasn't that solid on NM1 yet. You think about in terms of Big Sur kind of sing- signifies the whole M1 transition, the transition to Apple Silicon. I might be the guy goes against the grain on the podcast here. I deeply dislike most of the design decisions coming in through Big Sur. I dislike the squared icons. I think that the old school Mac OS icons were so nice. They were so unique. They had so much character to them. I miss those. I really dislike the iOSification of Mac OS. I view this as a very strong stepping stone towards the eventual unification of the OSs. And that bothers me to no end. I do not like that. I don't like that I know it's coming and I don't like that there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. I still remember back in like 2014, maybe 2015, Cook was asked, are you going to merge macOS and iOS? And behind him on stage at WWDC, 
this giant no appeared and I felt so relieved, so comforted. Oh, thank God. They're not going to, they're not going to ruin this. They're not going to become windows eight, but slowly, but sure from the new control panel that is just clearly designed with touch forward fingers. Yeah, it is like they're super round, super spaced. I see it coming. And especially with the iPad, iPad pro becoming so powerful. They have a and using the same chip as a Mac. It's so obvious that Mac OS is going to come to the iPad. It's so glaringly obvious that's going to happen at some point. And I worry about that unification. I worry about the application degradation. Whenever you start lowering the bar to entry, you start mm-hmm. producing lower quality applications. I, I bet everyone on the call has been using Mac OS or Mac OS X for a very long time. Can anyone in earnest say, apart from the new features shipped by iMessage, that messages is better than iChat? No, not even close. I remember using, Brom knows this, I have a G5 iMac that still runs because we have some programs that still require, we have some programs that still require that legacy support on Leopard. And the amount of sophistication that iChat has is incredible. Like I could actually do formatting. I could actually change the color of the text. So assuming, yeah, yeah, exactly. So everyone could have blue bubbles. It's, it had so much more personality to it. And now with messages, it's standardized itself. Another, another very little thing that I noticed that's more toward like the unification amongst iOS versus, versus macOS is it used to be extremely easy to set custom alerts for different applications like the sounds and the vibrations. Now it's almost impossible unless you're willing to dig into uh, system settings and system preferences that are buried very deep. And as a person who loves customization, that's, oh, it's making everyone more unified and it's killing that individuality. The same thing for application icons. Changing an application icon in Mac OS used to be really just trivial. Drag and drop the icon over top of the existing icon. It was replaced. And there was this great application from Icon Factory called Candy Bar, which back in the day was like, what I remember this, if you wanted to customize your Mac, doesn't work, impossible to get this work now. And I think that we're just at a point where Mac OS is becoming iOS. So you, you, I you believe iOS, that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I share the same prediction with you. Do you think the iPad will become like a surface? I think that Mac OS and I think Apple at large is going to take a lot of steps between here and there. I think that they are very well aware of how poorly the surface was ultimately received and they've made endless jokes about that. But yeah, I can't see an eventuality where Mac OS is not running on an iPad. I can't see that. Not. It's just impossible. The iPad is getting so powerful after the latest betas. One of the most consistent comments was the OS holding us back. We have this amazing hardware and the OS is holding the hardware back. I don't see Apple letting that sit. I want to talk about your app it's called Pager and I'm in love with it. Tell us a bit about it. So Pager at the core is a very thin application. I don't want, I don't imagine my Pager users are opening the application every single day. That's not the point. Uh, Pager treats Reddit as a content aggregate rather than a social media network. It is categorized, it is well-maintained, it is well-moderated, and it is incredibly up-to-date. So rather than, so say you want to know about a new Apple product release, say you want to know about a, a trade happening in the NBA, rather than having to install an application 
of which you have no kind of threshold of what notifications are ultimately getting sent to your phone, you can use pager and you can say, I want to know about this specific event with these specific words. And I don't want to know about if it's, if it contains like the word blue, I don't want to be told about it. You can determine all of that yourself. You can control explicitly what gets sent to your phone and it happens within 60 seconds of it being posted on Reddit. That's and yeah, it's a huge amount of data processing that we're taking in. We, I think we hover right around 1.5 gigabits per second, just Reddit API consumption. Well, you and, know, a lot of people, a lot of people ask me, Brahm, how do you stay so informed? How do you manage the influx of content and news that's constantly coming in? Just not on tech in general, but specifically the Apple front. Uh, you mentioned Apple hosting this podcast. I need to be informed. I need to know about what new features are being featured in each beta build and what's happening. One of uh, our producers, Will Sigmund, he created a pager automation that actually scans the Reddit thread for iOS betas and alerts when someone adds the feature flare. And, and so I can really fine tune that to only be alerted when the kind of content I want to see is being published. And, and that's what I love about pagers is paired with apps like Apollo, and it works very friendly with Apollo, a Reddit client by Christian Selig, who we had on the show. It works so well with these third-party apps and it's just a joy to use because I feel like I'm not, I'm no longer weeding through information asking to see or that I asked to see. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for Apple, it has a ton of use cases, especially around beta season. Whenever I originally launched it, the Apple community gave me a huge boost that they were a, a significant portion of the user base. And then people started using it for tons of things. And I introduced the filter types. So you can filter on titles. You can filter on the number of upvotes, the number of comments, the domain that it's coming from, the author, the flair, whether or not it's not safe for work, you can filter whether it has a spoiler. You can, it's an incredible amount of tooling that you can uh, construct your own filters for. And I'm glad that I introduced that many options. I was introducing options that I had no real idea how people would use. Like, I, I personally don't have a use for this option that I'm introducing, but the community has built these ridiculous at times monitors. And I found communities that I never knew existed on Reddit, just looking wow. and saying like, oh, wow, there's a huge community for this. So do you guys know like Lulu Limit? Like yeah, the, yeah. Brand? The, right. the yoga pants. Yeah. Did you know? that on Reddit, there is a massive community around Lululemon. It is wow. staggeringly active and very well moderated. And every time one of the articles of clothing goes on sale, someone posts it there and they tag it. And there are thousands of people on that subreddit using pager to notify them whenever a specific size is in stock. And I can promise you, whenever I was rolling out pager, Lululemon notifications was the farthest thing from my mind in terms of use cases. So it's really cool to see the community really run with it and, and just be creative and apply pager to their everyday workflows. Uh, and, and that's the thing. There's so many different ways that you can filter out content. And that's why I love it. So when you think about things like the not safe for work tag, I, I think I start thinking about, because we're talking about betas, how that plays into focus modes. Maybe I can integrate pager with focus modes to say, do not show me not safe for work content between these hours while I'm at work. It really opens up a, a, a whole new world as far as how we're interacting with content throughout the day, how much time we're spending on it, what kind of content it is in the first place. Yeah, I, I think it's really incredible what you're doing with Pager. And I have to say, I personally love the app. Hopefully George checks it out. 
I know exactly where Ram is leading with this. I love doing a lot of stuff with automation, not even with like home automation or home kit stuff, but just automation on the Mac. Without a doubt, the most common use case for pager is snagging deals for PC parts. Hands down, anytime someone posts a deal or an in-stock notification on PC parts, pager shipping out a few thousand notifications right away. Now, does this mean that you could potentially limit those notifications to get the deal yourself? Of course. Yeah. That's what, that's the whole point. That's the end game. Yeah. yeah, of course you could, but pager operates in this, this really unique way. And I did, I think this might get a little too into the weeds, but we, I, I built this queuing system where there are, it's effectively a load balancer system for users and subreddits that need to be scanned. We don't want to get too into the weeds here because we have news to talk about. And the first thing I want to talk about is this little guy, the MagSafe battery pack starts at $99. I have it here right in front of me for those of you that are listening to the audio version. I've been using it for about a day. And, and I have to say, I'm a fan of it. I like it. I don't see myself using it all the time. It's very convenient the way that it connects via MagSafe. It does turn my phone into a little bit of a brick. So well, I'm not going to argue the practicality and the functionality. Of you can make fun of me. A battery adaption. For all the credit Apple gets for making beautiful hardware. Their battery adapters are just so ugly. And I can't get over how ugly they are. I, and I don't, I'm not coming at this with a solution in mind. Yeah. I feel like the product designers at Apple, if they tried even a little bit, they could come up with a better solution than just a tic-tac case on the back of your phone. And, and that's the thing. I, I like that you're bringing that up because if you think about a battery pack that connects via MagSafe, which was a new technology that debuted on the iPhone 12 line last year. It seems like a no-brainer for Apple to make a first-party battery pack, and yet it took almost a year for it to come out. Mark Gurman has a new report. He's talking about the availability of new MacBook Pro models with mini-LED displays built in and hopefully, cross your fingers, more RAM. And those are expected to arrive sometime between September and November. What do you guys think about that? Will you buy a yeah, fun I would, I'm due for a personal upgrade and I will absolutely, I'm, I'm going to hold out for the M1 at this point, assuming I can get at least 32, but I can't see them doing another release cycle, especially for 16 inch Apple pros and not offering more than 16. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, 16 gigs of RAM, unless you're just dealing with still imagery in my industry, is physically not enough. And I'm actually holding 128 gigs of RAM right here. So I'm waiting for when I can fix my iMac and I can get that upgrade in. It's just it, right now for most professionals that I've talked to in the industry, colorists, video editors, graphic design, not graphic designers, visual effects artists. 16 gigabytes of RAM is physically not enough. We need it. Okay, 16 gigs of RAM on M1 is equivalent to like 32 on Intel. But even then, we're looking, we need 32 to 120 gigs of RAM for some of the workloads that I'm running. Leaker Kuoming Chi, he was talking about new MacBook Pros a couple of weeks ago. And he says they're expected to go into production in the third quarter of this year, which would line up with that September, November release date. These will be packing up to, but not exceeding 32 gigabytes of RAM, according to YouTuber and leaker Luke Maiani. We could see uh, a new mini LED packed in, something similar to what we see on the M1 iPad Pro that released earlier this year. 
with the uh, million to one contrast ratio, which I'm sure will be great for photo and video editing. It's disappointing, but not surprising. They've always held back the RAM cap on their laptop series, which is disappointing. But why do you side for the LED? I, I don't know. I think Apple was going through this really positive growth spurt over the last two years where they started paying more attention to pros. We got the iMac Pro, which for all the price controversy was a beastly machine. Then we got followed up by the Mac Pro, which was a long overdue overhaul from the 2013 trash can. And I guess I hoped that the Pro moniker on the MacBook series would carry that kind of same weight alone, but it just hasn't. They haven't delivered on that yet. Honestly, what I'm really hoping for is a return of MagSafe because that has saved me thousands upon thousands of dollars over the years. And I would love to have that back. You trip over your cables a lot? Yeah, I'm a very clumsy person. And uh, I'll move my laptop constantly. And because I primarily use a 5K monitor that also powers my MacBook Pro, I will constantly be tripping over that. And uh, yeah, I would love for that to be magnetically detachable, but Apple decided USB-C exclusively was the way to go there. And I'm very happy to hear that they might be reversed. I have a somewhat interesting take on the Mac Pro here. I recently got an email from Phase One, which is the owner and creator of Capture One software, which is like a Lightroom competitor. And I screenshotted it and sent it to Brom immediately when I got it because they said in the email, we are working on furthering and developing the software to help support our creative professionals. If Apple did that once every three months, they, don't, they wouldn't have to tell us anything about what they're working on. I'm going to switch things over to iPhones. Now, this year's iPhone 13 is expected to debut in a bronze-like sunset gold color. What do you guys think about that? I love bronze. So honestly, I could vibe with that. I, I, might, upgrade from my, I might upgrade from my 8 Plus if it comes out in bronze and the finances. Well, oh, or I might get an Apple Watch depending on, depending on what's available in later of the year. I think they should bring back that, that bronze. No better Apple watch than the white ceramic Apple watch. Ooh. I don't know why they ended it. That was a beautiful piece of hardware. What app, what Apple watch do you have? I don't have one anymore. Yeah. I got very little use out of it after the white ceramic. So I just didn't buy a new one. Apple released a lot of new software this week, iOS and iPad OS 14.7. We have watchOS 7.6, which brings ECG and irregular heart rhythm notifications to 30 new regions. This is long overdue. Apple faces some hiccups as far as government restrictions when they're introducing health features, even though they're not invasive, you just strap it to your wrist. So it's cool to see ECG and irregular heart rhythm notifications available in 30 new regions. You said 14.7? Yes. Have they, like, have they ever done that many uh, minor version releases of an iOS platform before? If you look at the history of iOS releases, I think the highest we've ever gone was 13.7. So they line up right there, 13.7 and 14.7. 14.7 was huge for security. If you look at the list of security optimizations and the things that were set in place with 14.7, you, you will be in awe. You just, you keep scrolling. In this week's edition of Cupertino Drama, we're going to come up with a better name for that. A little Cupertino Drama for you guys. You guys heard about this? The Apple employees, they don't want to come back to work. They don't want to work at a spaceship anymore. 
It's, it's too, it's way too comfortable at home. If you go through the effort of making that giant spaceship office only for three years since you opened a global pandemic that had, and now no, none of your like global level employees want to come back. Apple employees actually penned a letter to Apple CEO, Tim Cook and Deidre O'Brien. She's the head of retail and people. So she handles the whole gamut as far as uh, human resources goes. And they said they were campaigning for something called pilot agreements that would allow employees to work from home full-time with some restrictions. And Apple said, no, you must be back in September, at least three days a week. Now we've all lived through the pandemic and we all realize how comfy it gets being able to stay home, work in your pajamas. You don't have to do your hair up nice for anybody. What do you guys think about this? George, I know you work from home constantly. You run your business from home, as do I. I didn't really feel a change getting out of the pandemic or going into the pandemic simply because I had been so used to and comfortable with the notion of working at home. I used to commute to university to and from, and I couldn't bring my tech with me, obviously. So I would just take a small shoulder bag uh, worth of equipment and then I would come home and then that's where I would do all of my work. So as the pandemic has shifted into becoming a thing in March of 2020, I just said, okay, let me just make some minor modifications to my studio and then I'll be able to get back up and working again. I don't think it is wise for them to mandate a, a daily requirement of how many days a week they have to be on the campus. Because realistically speaking, if you can get the work done at home, get the work done at home, save on air conditioning, save on amenities. Apple Park pretty much powers itself. It's 100% renewable energy. I don't care as a business owner myself, if you can get the work done at home in your pajamas, great. If we're going to get on a video call, just be quote unquote presentable. Joshua, what do you think about this? What's your take on the whole story and work-life balance in general? So I think I'm going to probably go against the grain here. Certainly against the common grain, like on the hot takes on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I hate working from home. I have been working from home for a while now, pre-pandemic. I was hired at a software company and we were working remote. It was a fully remote team. Uh, a big reason why I came out to the Bay, a big reason why I moved was because I miss that in-person office space. And there's certainly the mentality behind, hey, if you can get your work done at home, then get your work done at home. But for collaborative environments, especially for product design, for application design, you can never really replace that kind of in-person communication. It's never quite the same. Being able to walk over to someone's desk or ask someone, hey, can you come look at this and be able to I, I, iterate between each other just verbally, that is something that you can never really replicate remotely. And for a company whose entire premise is hardware and software, it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that you're in product and software engineers have to come in person. The quality of the product does diminish whenever you lose communication. And no matter what anyone tells you, I've been doing remote work for three years with large teams on software. Remote does degrade the amount of communication you can have. It's just inevitable. Now I'm not sure. It, yeah. it, it's just, it's impossible to get around. The culture of remote is trying to reduce that impact as much as possible, but you can never reduce it entirely. I'm sorry. At the surface level, all virtual seems like it, it's going to be frictionless. Like everybody can just have their own side projects and get work done. Apple's really has really prided themselves on this and it does result 
in harmonious integration between hardware and software. And you look at the year 2021 and people are saying WWDC 2021 was lackluster. They're saying that iOS 15 was lackluster. They're saying that iPadOS didn't get what it deserved. And you start to think about all this, given that everybody was working remote, it's still amazing the level of innovation that they accomplished uh, this year as far as software goes, but you can only hope for more. And I think it wasn't there because of the amount of people, uh, most everyone was working remotely at Apple. And you have to last year. Just because we saw those features unveil for 15, we all know that 14 was originally meant to be a much bigger release that was scaled back pretty dramatically. Yes. So who you knows how many of these features were long baked, uh, which I think is great. Good job, Apple. Keep things in the oven for longer. Better software for everyone. I love that. But yeah, the amount of communication you get from open floor span offices, which the which their spaceship is unrivaled. And I I think that and especially for new engineers, as someone in software who's joined new teams, I can tell you the amount of friction you experience whenever you're isolated and working remote is significantly higher than whenever you join a new team and you're in person. Being able to join a new team, start working with people, start getting hands-on is so much better and you produce much better work much faster. I a lot of people it. in the latest news are threatening to quit. Apple employees are threatening to quit should Apple allow a pilot program to, to, uh, that, that might be very earnest threats. I don't know, but I know that there is a very long queue of very talented engineers who would jump at the opportunity to work at Apple. So I don't think Apple is going to be worried about losing key contributors because it's not as yeah. general aware. Key contributors like product leads are already on board. They're already coming back to the spaceship. I don't see, I don't see a threat of a few dozen employees or even a few hundred employees quitting being that impactful compared to the quality of product of hardware and software that they ship. I'm sure that they'll come to some kind of agreement, but we shall see the, the software is more important. And again, and lots of people, engineers. we shall see again, I definitely agree with you. Uh, lack of people willing to work for Apple is not a problem. As we bring the show to a close, thank you for joining us. As we unwrap the tech of today, I want to let the people know where they can find you, Joshua, where can the people find you? Twitter is going to be the best. I'm usually just retweeting people way funnier than I am. And that's Joshua T on Twitter. I have other social media platforms, but it's Twitter. And let them know where you can find your new app, Pager on the App Store. Pager, pager.app, only for iOS. Not super well supported on iPad, sorry. But yeah, and it's free. And it's awesome. always going to be free. I love that. George, where can the people find you on the socials of medias? On the socials of medias, they can find me at FigTreeCinemas.com or at FigTreeCinemas, basically all over the web. And because I like consistency, you can find me anywhere on social media at GW Photograph and the last letter E. Better than mine, man. Good job. Hey, I do branding. I do branding and yeah, marketing. I've got to keep it consistent. He's an expert. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bromshank. That's B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. Thank you guys so much for joining us. 
We had a great time unwrapping the tech up today with you guys, and we'll see you guys next week.